Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hi, I'm Kim Salmon. I'd like to have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe... The number is 94198377. You've been listening to the sand. You could never understand. Feel the fortune flowing. You know it isn't stuck. Mechanics, day labourers, chimney sweeps, costers, etc who are now hailed as men and brothers in bicycle contests, shall never find a place in the National Tricycle Association. that time on a Monday morning, you just pedal into that sunshine. It is a crystal clear, beautiful day here in Melbourne on the 30th of November. You're listening to the Arabug Radio Show here on 3CR. On your tranny in the kitchen, podcasting, streaming. How else to do it, Faith? (laughs) (laughs) I think you've got it covered. And joining us on the tandem today, if you want a couple of tips how to ride halfway around the world, we've got the man for you. Jeremy, good morning. Good morning. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. There we go. What a lovely day it is out there. It's just magic, isn't it? It's beautiful. Hey, not a breath of wind, not that dry, sharp, skin-burning temperature. That, That chill southerly's gone too. No, it'll come back. It'll come back. It'll come <laughs> All back. All in good time. All in good time. Swings and roundabouts. Um, that little quote from the start was from uh, the Bicycling, Bicycling News, a wonderful little newspaper that was around in 1878. So you can see now the tribes were still at work in those days. None of those two wheelers will ever become members of the Tricycle Association. Faith, a bike moment to stir us up. <laughs> Uh, I had uh, some great bike moments on Saturday. I went up to Faulkner Festa with the squeaky wheel and we were running a wheelie workshop there at the Festa. And not sure, you know, how that would turn out. We hadn't been up there before. Absolutely mobbed by what seemed like thousands, probably wasn't, but it was a lot of kids with their bikes just so keen to do something, anything. 
Yeah. It was an awesome day and just so happy, you know, that the whole thing where bike events, people are happy and especially kids. Mm. Lots of... Uh, Argues for a good bicycling future, you think? Yeah, you know, definitely a bit more infrastructure in that up that end of uh, Moreland. It um, is. It's not about. You know. it, it's right in where we were. It's you know in between the Merry Creek Path and the upfield. So, and not too far from either. Mm. Um, but just the connections aren't really, and you've got to get across you know Sydney Road at the point where it's practically a freeway, and yep. um, and even you know. You're thinking all these kids were pretty young, so okay, riding on the pavement for a while. But once, you know, a lot of the Dukes Road and that big, wide open roads where cars yeah. just think, oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> open the throttle. There's yeah. another, another one to mow down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but an awesome day. Really, really good oh, festival and uh, really nice vibe. Very lots of happy people. Squeaky. Every kid seems to own a bike. Yep. Not many of them owned helmets, but. They were, you know, all having fun, good old-fashioned way. <laughs> <laughs> Squeaky wheels bounding along. Yep, very busy. Yeah. Yep. That's good. Jeremy, I'm sure you've got a lot of bicycle moments. <laughs> <laughs> Give us your second best. We'll save the best till the last. <laughs> wow, second best. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this I oh, from the journey. There are just yeah, so many. I think, I think some of them. I think some of the highlights. Uh, I think I think of one example in Iran where just riding on the road and a car pulls over in front of me, and this guy tries to jam my bike into his car. He just tries to take me with him, yep. and uh, eventually he uh, got the picture that I wasn't going to just jump in his car. And um, when he he realised his his village was about fifty kilometres down the road. And eventually we looked at the map and he saw his little village on the map and he's like, ah, I, I go there. And I said, that's fine. I ride there. And he's trying to tell me that it's far. Yeah. And I couldn't explain that I'd cycled from London at this point. <laughs> uh, eventually got the picture and he drove ahead and he waited for two and a half hours on the side of the road for me to turn up. And then he took me in, gave me some food, shelter. And yeah, it's just, that was a typical moment uh, and that's one of hundreds of experiences I had in Iran that just really just blows you away when you see how beautiful people are Man. in so many different places around the world. Oh, God, I shouldn't have gone last night. Very, <laughs> very, very pedestrian. <laughs> Sunday mornings is always my shopping day. You know, get out the shopping bike, which is, anyway, one of the go-to bikes. I had the lovely pleasure of being overtaken by a lovely tandem as they swung down the road. They went round the next roundabout, I reckon, closer than any other bike I've ever seen go around. It was just lovely to watch two people who obviously ride a lot together. It wasn't any special machine or anything. But the way they whizzed through this roundabout and a little chicane on the way to the shops just goes to ship, just sort of highlighted this ability of two people to actually be in complete sync with each other. In tandem. In tandem. <laughs> in every sense. Neither a leader or a follower. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Four legs, two heads, one heart. Let's get on to some news and events that's happening mm -hmm. in Melbourne. There's a bit going on. Faith, do you want to lead off or shall okay. I? Or shall uh, I? Well, the, the news I was thinking about was um, down at Brunswick Velodrome on the weekend. Uh, Drew Gin uh, 
broke the Australian 24-hour record. Uh, started off at 2 o'clock Friday afternoon and um, was going for the, the world record, which is 890 kilometres, raising funds for Tour de Cure um, and didn't quite make that. Got to 864 kilometres in 24 hours, riding in circles. So that was uh, – and for those who n- know the name is familiar but can't quite place it, Drew was five-time world champion rower, a triple Olympic gold medalist, rode with the awesome foursome, uh, and then uh, took up competitive road cycling. This can't keep some likes away from <laughs> competitions, can you? <laughs> hey? So if you, yeah, if you want to read a bit more news about that, um, I couldn't find anything up this morning, but I'm sure Cycling Tips or possibly SBS Cycling Central, they had something about the event um, before he started, so I'm sure they'll be following up with some more details. Now there's a, um, a summit, the Creating Healthy City Summits on in Melbourne at the moment, um, which has got a big focus on inner city and, as Faith was mentioning before, not so inner city transport methods. It'll be interesting. You can keep in contact. They've got a fairly good website where uh, most of the stuff will show up in the end. Good to keep an eye on. Um, the other thing is I've been reading, I'm not sure, there are plenty of bicycle blogs around, not many transport blogs. Um, I think I've referenced this one before. Alan Davis writes a blog called The Urbanist on uh, Crikey, I think, yep. which is a lovely, interesting article on is cycling really popular in the Netherlands because it's flat? And <laughs> a nice little divergence in there, actually, which cities in the world embrace cycling, which ones do you think the geography or the topography makes a difference? And, of course, um, this week sees the opening of a film we're all dying to not watch, the Lance Armstrong, <laughs> the program. Um, I've read a couple of reviews. I really don't want to go, go through this. A couple of interesting things. I've forgotten the um, the actor's name who portrays Lance Armstrong. Um, see, I've forgotten his yeah. name already. Wiped. Yeah, you know, wiped. Um, actually took a bit of, uh, I think he, uh, I'm not sure whether he tried the EPO, but he certainly got into a bit of the performance-enhancing drugs to give himself a feel for how it would have changed. He had some interesting things to say about it, didn't he? I know. Can you, I just lost one of it. He said he felt his real self, wasn't it, one of them? I, it's, it's a vague memory <laughs> so I shouldn't have mentioned it but um I thought he was saying something about the feeling a bit invincible and um that whole idea that you know why should anyone stop you or get in your way yeah yeah interesting too uh from what I've read focuses a fair bit on David Walsh who's the Irish um, journalist who yep. right from the very start yes. um started to uh, pointing fingers yeah, 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 and got, you know, the whole, without going through the whole thing, then got blackballed by Armstrong, yep. didn't get any information out of anybody. And then, of course, I think there's a scene in the uh, film, there's a cycling journalist here in, I think he's in Melbourne, Rupert Guinness, or he might be in Sydney, actually. And I think he was, he comes off pretty badly in the film because he was one of the, Oh, I should shut up now, shouldn't I? I will. <laughs> anyway, go and see the film. Go and see we, the film. We all have a lot in common with Lance Armstrong. None of us will ever win the Tour de France. 
There might be someone out there listening going, I'll prove you wrong. <laughs> well, go ahead. <laughs> I'm talking about us three oh, and, well, yeah. and Lance. We've got one common bond. We won't be on the podium in Paris. We'll be back with a long ride just after this little break. Estás sintonizando 3CR 855 de tu dial AM. صدای ما را از رادیو 3CR 855 AM می‌شنوید. Kính thưa quý vị, đây là đài phát thanh 3CR trên làn sóng AM 855. Kính mời Tracer broadcasts over 130 programs in 25 languages supporting communities and viewpoints that you just don't hear about anywhere else. Subscribe to your award-winning multilingual community radio station, 3CR, and help keep these voices on the airwaves. Call the station on 94198377. The number is again 94198377. And you're back listening to the Arabug Radio Show on 3CR. Our studio guest, Val introduced earlier, is Jeremy Scott. And he's here today to talk about a trip riding home from London to Australia. Uh, to New Zealand. Yeah, to New Zealand, yeah. yeah almost. <laughs> <laughs> that last four hour. <laughs> um, but And I was looking at – you brought along a, a book you've uh, written about the trip, which is called The Long Road from a Broken Heart. Tell us about The Broken Heart. Yeah, I guess that you hear the natural assumption when people see the title <laughs> and think, oh, the poor boy's been dumped <laughs> and he's running away. It's like, get out the violins. But, uh, you yeah, know, it's, it's a story about – like uh, the title come from my youth where I was diagnosed very early with a huge heart defect. And as a kid, I couldn't even run around a field. So at the age of about three or four, my condition was really starting to deteriorate and my surgeon, a man called Sir Brian Barrett Boys, was sort of forced to operate. Thankfully, the surgery went all right because I'm, I'm here speaking with you now. So, <laughs> And yeah, it really, really changed my life and uh, went, yeah, literally went from a kid who couldn't run around a field to someone who got on a bike 34 years later and set off around the planet. And the the title came from it was your nephew, wasn't it? The <laughs> yeah, dear little Jackson. Yeah, he, he's five years old at the time, and he couldn't explain to his classmates that his uncle had undergone life saving open heart surgery and was riding around the world raising money for the Australian, British, New Zealand Heart Foundation. So he just told everybody that I was riding around the world because I had a broken heart. <laughs> so, beautiful. <laughs> there was also um, a moment. Uh, on your ride where you made a really poignant connection to do with that surgery and with your surgeon. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, I was in Hanoi uh, staying with a good mate of mine and I was introduced to a man called Warren Bowers and we got chatting and after Warren asked me if I was raising money for any charities and I explained which ones I w was raising money for, completely out of the blue he asked me if my surgeon was Sir Brian Barrett Boyce. And I could not believe he knew my surgeon. And it turned out that his younger brother had been operated on by the same man. And I was so excited about this. And I thought to myself, well, I just, I've got to meet your brother. And at which point you could see Warren's head drop. And he said, look, you can't meet him because he died during the operation. And it turned out Paul's operation was two years before mine. 
and we quickly realised that Sir Brian had clearly learnt a lot of lessons from Paul's failed operation, which he carried forward to mine two years later. And up until that point, I thought if I was born a generation earlier, they wouldn't have had the the knowledge or the know-how to save my life. And I quickly realised that it was less than two years. It may have been less than one year. And that really changed my attitude in so many ways. Changes so quickly. Does it... Um did it have an immediate effect on you after the operation? You actually then, within a short while, were back to, let's call it, in inverted commas, normal life. Yeah, absolutely. Like, no. yeah, like, like prior to the operation, I, I couldn't exercise because I couldn't get blood to my arms no. and my legs. Then post-surgery, I joined a football team. I was playing cricket, playing softball. And I think I think those, those early years actually installed a bit of grit and determination as my character because up until that point... I couldn't do a thing. I was pretty hopeless. So right. post-surgery, when I could suddenly keep up with the other kids, I wanted every single one of them to know that I could keep up and I wanted to make it very, very clear I was keeping pace. I bet you, have any of them ridden from London to New Zealand? <laughs> Not that I know of, no. Oh, well, there's something for them to own for. Tell me, we've got to know where the genus, the idea to ride from London to New Zealand comes from. Literally, I was, I was living in the UK and I came home from work and there was a magazine called the TNT on the coffee table. And inside this magazine were a series of different articles about a number of different people who had completed little cycling journeys in different parts of the world. And I started to think to myself, well, if these people had more time, why couldn't they do two of them? Why couldn't they do all three? And then a cog turned and I started to think, well, if I had more time, why couldn't I do all three? And as I was living in London, I knew that eventually I'd need to head home to the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. So I thought to myself, why not? All I need is the time. Yeah. So I didn't even own a bicycle at that point in my life, and I had no cycle touring experience. But somehow I knew that I was going to make this happen. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> You're going, cuckoo. Long distance cyclists, what do they have in common? Grit and determination. And a little bit of madness. Well, we've all got a bit of madness. Don't worry about that every time. Once you throw the leg over a bike, that's the end of it for a lot of people. What the no cycling experience, was that a bit of a. It came pretty quickly to you, I bet. Yeah, like I was. Uh, well, my training as such was stuffed up because I actually ruptured my ACL uh, ligament uh, about a year earlier. So my training was walking on treadmills and swimming in pools. Yeah. But it's not a race. And when you, you set off, I was fortunate that I had countries such as Belgium, the Netherlands to ease into things. Yeah. And yeah, the biggest hill is a bridge. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was a good training ground to start building up the confidence, building up the, the belief and just finding my rhythm as I just worked my way into this journey. And I know it's pretty hard over that period of time. The typical day was you were doing? Uh, Probably average day was about 90Ks, something like that. But, yeah, it varied a lot. Places like China, I was averaging about 150Ks a day. Uh, whereas other countries, I slowed right down. So yeah, there was it was it just varied a huge amount depending on my mood, what there was to see, and yeah, I think I really learned to slow down and take the time to speak to people because that's where I got my value. And I almost set a rule of never be in too much of a hurry to have a good conversation or a cup of tea. I think we've done with the bicycling bit. Now, <laughs> oh no, that, and yeah. it's about the people, isn't it? Uh, yeah, for for me. That was the highlight of the journey. 
you've got to tell us. <laughs> you've got to tell us a couple of memorable occasions. Uh, well, I guess you know, there was there was that one guy in Iran uh, yep. who just yeah literally went so far out of his way. Uh, there were other people in Iran who just did so much. Uh, end up dancing with strangers in the middle of the road while a shepherd is ushering his sheep and his goats around me. Uh, there were there was people who jumped off buses in snowstorms to try and help me find accommodation and then spend days showing me around town. Uh, and, yeah, it's you, you, you get so overwhelmed by the kindness that you receive in so many of these countries, which, to be honest, at the moment are not receiving a good rap in, uh, uh, sort of in the media. So it's, it's really... It does open your eyes when you're exposed to people. You learn to trust people, and you get so much from it when you're willing to trust a human being. With your multilingual, or you had language go? Yeah, so it was great to learn the basics of every single country you went to. So, what I, like, if I was a week away from Japan, I would write down a whole lot of words, phrases, and I'd stick it on the front of my handbag. bag. And I'm learning it as I'm cycling uh, to, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, towards the border to enter towards in, before the time I'm about to enter the country. And by learning the basics, even if you stuff it up, people are then so much more willing to help you and yeah. give you assistance. Yeah, it makes an amazing difference. You don't have to be very good at speaking the language, but if you've got one or two words, even if you b- badly pronounce them, people understand that you're actually making an effort to converse with them. Absolutely, yeah, and it's it's just such an icebreaker. Yeah. Um, if you completely stuff it up, they'll laugh in your face, but then they're helping you. Mm-hmm. And did you meet many other cyclists along the way? Yeah, I met a few. So I, I set off from the UK in October, which is the beginning of the winter up mm-hmm. there. So I didn't meet a, the only no, cyclists no. I met up there yeah. were heading home, <laughs> not into the depths of the winter. Uh, beyond that, once I got to Central Asia and I was getting into the spring there, that's a pretty common area to meet other cyclists. And you're sitting around for weeks on end collecting visas, so you meet quite a few uh, because mm-hmm. of that. Then Southeast Asia was another popular area for cycle touring. And then I think the South Island of New Zealand. Uh, through the outback of Australia, you bump into the odd random hit heading the other way. Yeah, you stop under a tree and yeah, share a story. Yeah, but yeah they were probably the the main areas where you bumped into other tourists. And were you camping along the way, carrying camping gear? Or yeah, I carried everything I needed. Yeah, my tent, sleeping gear, cooking gear, uh, the, yeah, the food, water, and I camped probably sixty percent of the time. Mm-hmm. But when you get to places like Southeast Asia, where it's five dollars for a cheap yeah. hotel. Yeah. You got a fan as well, but it's thirty degrees outside, and that's very sweaty in that tent. It's like I'll take that uh, yeah. any day of the week. And was there a lot of hospitality from people along the way? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like so many, I think to be honest, probably the Islamic countries. It's almost part of the part of the culture is to outdo your neighbour in kindness to a stranger, and it takes a while to get used to it. Where you're meeting a group of people, and these hands are coming out with wads of cash, and they're just giving you cash. <laughs> and it's just normal. You're expected to accept it. And, yeah, people just go so far out of the way to take you into their homes, give you shelter, give you food. Just buy, you look at something in a market, and people will buy it for you. Or you go to a bakery, go to order three bits of bread, the baker gives you six and then walks away. And <laughs> it's just day after day, you're just, you are overwhelmed by the kindness and the hospitality you receive in so many countries around the world. We should, uh, to, where can, um, Jeremy's book on this is full of the most wonderful photos 
that you can imagine. The, and also that you took yourself. The, yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah. yeah, the images were all mine. Yeah. I just I want to just move on to this. You yeah. photographic training or yes, I've done yeah, done about quite a bit of photography study before setting off. Yeah. And I think when you're you're on the journey cycling solo, you've got the time to really practice. And if you want to wait for an hour or two for the right light. You can do that. You can do that. They are some wonderful photos. Yeah. Cheers, yeah. yeah. I was really happy with the quality of the images in the book. Yeah. We had uh, uh, someone else who embarked on a not-quite-so-long journey in here a month or two ago, and he mentioned that moment at the start of the journey where you look back and realise there is no going back. Um <laughs> And, and you look forward and, and you have no idea what's in front of you. Did you have that moment? I can relate to that moment. It's like you've just spoken about my first day where I was like after seven years of research and planning, I thought I was prepared for that first day. But I realized as I walked down the stairs, I was absolutely petrified. And, uh, I think it was a blessing that I'd arrogantly told all my mates what I was going to do. That uh, I couldn't back out. And uh, I think having taken that first step, got through the first day, got to the end of the journey, you look back and you start to appreciate what anyone can achieve once you've taken that first step. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons I've taken from this journey is I now appreciate what anyone can achieve if you can take that first step. Yeah. Uh, when you were 50 metres into the ride, did you turn around and look behind you? <laughs> no, uh, I didn't because I was, I, was, I was waving goodbye to my flatmates and I thought I'd get too emotional. Maybe I'd turn back if I looked back. Or, or head to Gatwick and yeah. catch a plane home. And hide, yeah, yeah. hide for two and a half years. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> well, if you'd uh, like to uh, see, find out more about Jeremy's journey, the book is called The Long Road from a Broken Heart and uh, you can find details about that and also about the trip at jeremyscott.com.au Cheers, yeah it's, it's yeah, the, you buy the book on there and I donate 10% back to the Australian Heart Foundation on every book I sell because I know if my cardiologist had not received the funding and the grants he received to do his research, would I be alive? Probably not. Uh, so this is my way to say a little thank you and give back to that incredible charity And there's a nice little YouTube clip of viewers, that correct? Yes, there is. Yeah, and yeah, you can find a link to that through the through the website as well. Yeah, yeah. If you look, uh, I guess on YouTube, have you looked up Jeremy Scott Adventurer? Adventurer. Yes, mm-hmm. I'll take that title. Jeremy, where's the next adventure? Potentially uh, top of Alaska, from top of Prudhoe Bay down to Oshawa. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a big old big old bit of land, but I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the research bits. Seven years researching, sort of ticking in the boxes, working out how it was going to work. Yeah, I think, I think for my first journey, I've, I needed that to build the confidence for all these different places I was going. Yeah. But once you're underway, you really start to appreciate the value of local knowledge. And by slowing down, speaking with locals, my, the, my route, the time I spent in different places, it varied immensely. Uh, and I think next time I'll do a lot less research and just maybe arrive at a certain place and spend a week just speaking with locals and learning about what's coming up, great rivers to follow, beautiful places to camp, and that's where you're going to learn so much more rather than the guidebooks and on the internet. Jeremy Scott, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been great. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Faith, there's an event coming up, I'm sure. There, There is on Friday night, and it's a great one. It's a night ride. It's the last of the uh, More Art bike rides. So if you haven't checked out the More Art Festival, or even if you have, 
the night ride you'll see those uh, art installations that rely a bit more on projections and lights and colourful things and you'll find all the details for that app at thesqueakywheel.com.au. And that's all we have time for today. Uh, 3CR relies on uh, its uh, listeners to stay on the air. So if you'd like to make a donation or subscribe to the station, you can do so at 3cr.org.au. And don't forget, if you're looking for a present for a friend for Christmas, 3CR produce a wonderful diary for next year. How to make trouble and influence people. I think it's Jeff Sparrow, and uh, I'm pretty sure it's a and it's a lovely little book with a lovely little diary. And get onto the 3CR website. Make sure somebody sends you one out. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.